Today's podcast is brought to you by the prime original series, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, winner of two Golden Globes, including Best TV Series, Musical or Comedy, and Best Performance by an Actress in a TV Series, Musical or Comedy, for Rachel Brosnahan's performance as Midge Maisel. Consider it marvelous in all categories. Hello and welcome to Chasing Emmy, the podcast for Emmy voters, fans, and those who love the show. I am Henry Goldblatt, Editor-in-Chief of Entertainment Weekly, and I am back from a top-secret Emmy-related assignment. I apologize for being gone last week, but I'm thrilled to be reunited with my two pals, Kristen Baldwin, TV critic. Hello. Welcome back. Thank you. And Lynette Rice, TV editor-at-large. Is it so top-secret that you can't share it with us? I can't even sign it to you like it's that top-secret. Oh. Wow. 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 But I'm happy to be here. I'm so sorry I missed last week. We're happy to have you back. Lynette and I almost killed each other, but then didn't. I didn't realize that I was the peacemaker of this podcast. Um, Believe it or not, this is our final episode. For our final episode, we are going to be tackling two categories, a lead actress in a comedy, and then later on, supporting actress in a comedy. Kristen, how do you feel about this? And I feel sad that it's our last episode. I've enjoyed it so much. But I also feel happy that we have such great categories to talk about today because there are lots of funny ladies, and I'm not even making air quotes around ladies in these categories. And later on the show, Lynette is going to have her conversation with Mayim Bialik, who is the star of The Big Bang Theory. And how did that go, Lynette? It went very well. She and I love. I don't know if you noticed, but you said she's the star of The Big Bang Theory, and I would agree. I would agree. I said that on purpose. You did? Of course I did. Oh, okay. Then we're in agreement there. I don't know if Kristen's on board with us. Lynette, we're going to start with lead actress in a comedy. Take us through some of the previous winners in this category. This is an easy one to do, Henry, because Julia Louis-Dreyfus is totally dominated in this category since 2012. She's won 2012 through 2017. Before that, it was 2011, uh, Melissa McCarthy's year for Mike and Molly. And if you recall, it was really super funny when she won because there was that whole bit I think with Amy Poehler and Tina Fey. Didn't they, isn't that when she called them all on stage, Kristen? I can't remember. Yeah, and they did sort of the mock beauty pageant and they were all holding hands like they were finalists. And then when Melissa McCarthy was named the winner, they gave her a tiara and a sash and some flowers. It was amazing. All right, for me, this is a rhetorical question. And I want to pose it to you guys, though, to see if you feel similarly. Julia Louis-Dreyfus has the most nominations in this category with 11 and the most wins. As we said, she's won for Veep, and then she also won for Old Christine earlier in the aughts. Is she the greatest comedic actress of our time or in history? It's tough because I feel like she's top five. I don't know that you would put her past, uh, you know, ahead of like Lucille Ball, Carol Burnett. She deserves all these wins, and I think she's... For sure, top five, maybe even top three. I don't think you put her in front of of uh, Lucille and uh, Carol Burnett simply because they were pioneers in their craft, and they they deserve that and they and they own that. So maybe you put her third or fourth, but she's definitely the the bona fide TV comedy actress. All right, flame away at me. I'd put her in the top two. I actually would put her above Lucille Ball. Like, all right, don't throw things at me. I think I'd probably put her behind Carol Burnett because of Carol Burnett's flexibility and the sheer number of characters that she played over the course of that show over 11, 12 seasons. I think it's a testament to Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Old Christine was an entirely different character than Selena Meyer on Veep, who's an entirely different character than Elaine on Seinfeld. And she's just shown such range and 
different types of humor. For me, she's top two. We haven't talked about Mary Tyler Moore, who also has 10 nominations and feel, you know, she has to be in the top five. Would you put her ahead of Mary Tyler Moore? Oh, you just tugged at my heartstrings, Kristen. I know. I think I would, too. I don't agree about Julia above Lucio, and we can battle that off off mic. But um, uh, I definitely agree that Julia is above Mary Tyler Moore. All right. And then how do you feel about someone like Candace Bergen, who has seven nominations in this category and has won five times and famously removed herself from contention in this category because she had won so many times and wanted to give other actresses a chance? I want to use this as a segue into the whole snub discussion that we get in each week. Um, I I thought it was a classy move back in the day, although I was really only four when it happened, uh, uh, when she pulled herself out of contention because she had won five times. That is pretty classy, but at the same time, do you ding Julia Dreyfus for not doing that because she's won seven times for old Christina and Veep, and she's been nominated 11 times in the category. I mean, I mean, do you say that she's not classy? I mean, you deserve to win as many trophies as you want, but at the same time, when I'm talking about snubs, I'm going to, like, throw my hat to all the poor gals who've lost against her all those years. I mean, how awful for them. Look, no man would ever consider taking himself out of the running for a prize, period. There, no, there is no actor who would ever consider that. If I am incorrect, listeners, please let me know. Has an actor ever taken himself out of consideration? No. So, you know, it was a classy move by Candace Bergen. That's fine. But I really don't think anyone should feel pressure to take themselves out of the running because this is their gold medal. This is their Olympics. This is what they... the the top award in their career. If they want to keep achieving, they should be allowed to do it, whether they've won 10 years in a row or not. And Julia Louis-Dreyfus is the funniest, one of the funniest women ever. So the fact that she keeps winning, she's justified in these wins. Well, we'll get to this in a few minutes, but it's going to be by default that she's removed herself from this category this year because Veep is ineligible. And so we are going to have a new winner for the first time in seven years or six or seven years this year. Speaking of snubs, the one that stuck out to me the most, Lynette, and I apologize for stepping on your toes, Jane Kaczmarek has been nominated seven times in this category and never won for Malcolm in the Middle. I think that's an excellent um, example of one. That's amazing, too. I had to go back and look up his research because I didn't believe that. But it's true. It's totally true. She is so funny. She's so funny as Lois. Lynette, were there any other snubs that stuck out to you? The only other one that I kind of felt bad for, in addition to all the women who've lost to Julia Dreyfus, is Lena Dunham didn't get a nomination for the last season of Girls. Uh, She was nominated for the first three seasons. There's thought that she would nab one for the in the final season, but she didn't give it get one for her swan song. So I kind of felt bad about that. Before we go on to our draft picks for this category, there were a couple other factoids that stood out to me and I want to sort of throw them out there for you guys to react to. First of all, the last African-American actress to win in this category was Isabel Sanford in 1981. And the last woman of color to win in this category was America Ferrera for Ugly Betty in 2007. That is just nuts. I couldn't believe that when I was looking through this research. The other thing that stood out to me, and I'm hoping any historians out there will correct me if I'm wrong, I believe that Alison Janney is the only 
or perhaps one of the only people to be nominated in all four acting categories for the Emmys. In both cases, with The West Wing and with Mom, she moved from supporting to lead during the run of the show, and she's got nominations in all four, and I couldn't find anyone else who had actually achieved that. And also, she had a nomination for Guest Actress in a Drama for her turn on Masters of Sex. That's one show to binge, definitely in the first season, Masters of Sex. She played the wife of Bo Bridges, who was like the chancellor or something at the school where Masters and Johnson worked, and he was a closeted gay man, and she was married to him, and it was heartbreaking. She did an incredible job. I mean, if anyone deserves all categories, it's that hen. You know, she's great. (laughs) She's awesome. Maybe she'll EGOT one day. I don't think it's the impossible dream. We just need to get her a spoken word Grammy album, and she's got a beautiful voice. Kristen, can you take us through the 2017 nominees for in this category before we choose who we think are going to be nominated in this year? So we had Pamela Adlon for Better Things, Jane Fonda for Grace and Frankie, Allison Janney for Mom, Ellie Kemper for Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, Julia Louis-Dreyfus for Veep, Tracy Ellis Ross for Blackish, and Lily Tomlin for Grace and Frankie. So we're going to see some... Turnover in this category, of course, because Julia Louis-Dreyfus is not eligible. And Lynette, why don't you take us to your first draft pick of who will be nominated for Best Actress in a Comedy? My first choice is, of course, the obvious one, Allison Janney. We already know that she's an Emmy favorite. She had another great season. And now she's an Oscar winner. Why not give her another Emmy? I'm going to say Tracy Ellis Ross for Blackish. She was nominated last year. They had another great season. They did some sort of dramatic arcs in the in the show this season as Bo and Dre struggled with marriage issues. So I think she's going to get another nomination. All right. It's my pick. And I'm going to go with Deborah Messing from the Will and Grace revival. That show... They all came back. They all just slipped back into those roles so comfortably, including Deborah. It was an effortless watch, and she was just terrific. And I, we all just missed her as Grace, and um, she brought the neuroses, and we wanted that from her. And I think she will get a nomination, as she had many times before. I'm going to pick Ellie Kemper from Unbreakable, Kimmy Schmidt, only because it's well known that she's a master at this role, and she's a repeat nominee. Uh, and I think she belongs in the top six. My next pick is going to be Rachel Brosnahan from Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. She's really fantastic as uh, the housewife who turns to a life of stand-up comedy in the 1950s. It's very challenging, very sort of Gilmore Girls-esque role in that she has to talk a lot and talk really fast. It's from Amy Sherman Palladino. But there's also a lot of sweetness and emotion in it, and she handles it all beautifully. I'm going with Alison Brie from Glow as my final pick. She was an absolute revelation in the show last Last year, these new episodes that the Emmy voters are going to be judging are just terrific, and she shines in them. And it's not a role that anyone expected from her and not a role that we thought necessarily she was able to do, and she's just completely shined on it. And she makes an anti-hero that you want to root for. All right, so that gives us Rachel Brosnahan, Tracy Ellis Ross, Allison Janney, Allison Brie, Deborah Messing, and Ellie Kemper. How do we feel about with that list? I feel like Lily Tomlin and even Kristen Bell have a better chance than Alison Brie. I still feel like Glow is so niche I feel like uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt has kind of lost its luster. And if anyone was to drop out of our group, it would be Ellie Kemper. 
I got to side with my pal Kristen here. I loved this season of Kimmy Schmidt so much, actually. I thought this fourth season that just dropped was actually the strongest one since the first, and she just shines. But I think the bloom is off that rose a little bit. And I agree. I'm not sure how you don't give an Emmy nomination to Lily Tomlin, except that I don't know a lot of people who are watching that show necessarily. Were people watching it when they both got nominated last year? Like, I just, I don't understand. Kristen, as one of our colleagues says, mean but fair. She's one of those perennial Emmy faves, and she's got that the film star cachet. So do we go with her instead of... Um instead of Ellie? Yeah, I would go with her instead of Ellie. I would go with her instead of Ellie, too. All right, so that leaves our nominees, Rachel Brosnahan, Tracy Ellis Ross, Allison Janney and Allison Brie, Deborah Messing, and Lily Tomlin. Not a bad group. Not a bad group. All right, Lynette, who do you want to plead for? make a plea for Anna Ferris from Mom. You know, it's very easy to overlook this show because of the content. Maybe you don't think alcoholism is funny, and it's not, but this show is so sweet and important and cute all at the same time, doing no small part to Anna. She plays an ex-drunk with kids who moves in with her ex-drunk of a mom, played by Allison Janney. I feel like Anna is truly the glue of the comedy, even though all of the tension goes to Janney, who who's obviously placed, you know, her drunken mom, and she's already won an Emmy. But I'd like to see Anna finally get some love. You stole my Let Me Plead for. I did? No, it's totally fine. I adore Anna Ferris and want wonderful things for her and think she's a revelation in that show. And she's done such a great job with her podcast, Unqualified. And I think she's achieved a whole level of, different level of stardom. And I'd very much like to see her get a nomination as well. So I'm going to piggyback on yours if you don't mind. I thought you were going to plead for Logan Browning from Dear White People. Well, I have been pleading for a lot for Dear White People. And I will plead, if I get to, I'll plead for Logan Browning as well, because she leads that show with such ease and sinks into a role that's incredibly, incredibly difficult. And this year, she had to deal with a cyberbullying plotline that, God, if somebody said those things, even in a script to me that were said to her on screen, I wouldn't be able to deal. And yet she infuses it with humor and class. And I think she's going to, she's a star on this show. And I think she's going to even be a bigger star. So yes, Emmy for Logan Browning, please, as well. Kristen, how about you? All right, I'm going to plea for Pamela Adlon. She's the creator, writer, star, and frequent director of Better Things. And she gives a really natural performance as Sam, a working actress and single mother of three daughters. Unfortunately, last season, which was fantastic, the season finale was sort of overshadowed uh, because the co-creator of the series, Louis C.K., was revealed to have a lot of issues and was some sexually inappropriate behavior. He's no longer involved with the show. And I would I would just hate for this show, which is really so good and so beautifully done, to be overshadowed by his terrible behavior. Also, she will always have a spot in my heart because she was the voice of Bobby on King of the Hill, a role for which she did win an Emmy. Mic drop, Kristen Baldwin. All right, up next, we're going to be talking about supporting actress in a comedy. So please stay tuned. Today's podcast was brought to you by the Prime original series, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, from executive producers Amy Sherman Palladino and Daniel Palladino, starring Rachel Brosnahan, Alex Borstein, and Tony Shalhoub. Winner of two Golden Globes, including Best TV Series Musical Comedy, 
The story centers around a 1950s housewife, Midge Maisel, who discovers a talent for comedy after her husband leaves her, turning her traditional, comfortable life upside down. Midge finds her voice through comedy and finds the strength to take on the male-dominated world of stand-up and basically everything else in the 1950s. Consider it marvelous in all categories. Welcome back to Chasing Emmy, the podcast for Emmy voters, fans, and those who love them. I'm Henry Goldblatt, Editor-in-Chief of Entertainment Weekly, and I'm here with my pals Kristen and Lynette. And we are going to be tackling supporting actress in a comedy. Kristen, want to take us through a bit of history in this category? Who's won it and any trends that you see? Sure. So some previous winners. Uh, in 2013, it was Merritt Weaver as Zoe on Nurse Jackie. You may remember that she had a wonderfully brief acceptance speech. Didn't she just say thanks and leave? Exactly. Every speech should be like that. I know. It was it was a delight on many levels. Uh, in 2014 and 15, it was Allison Janney. And in 2016 and 2017, it was Kate McKinnon from Saturday Night Live. She's a favorite, obviously, for her many impressions on the show, as well as her, you know, playing Hillary Clinton on the show in many, many, many sketches. Uh, last year's nominees included Vanessa Bayer from SNL, Anna Chlumsky from Veep, Katherine Hahn from Transparent, Leslie Jones from SNL, Judith Light, National Treasure from Transparent, and Kate McKinnon from SNL. No streaming service has ever won in this category. Judith Light has never won a primetime Emmy. She's got two Tonys and two daytime Emmys. I can't even like, I don't even, I feel like I can't speak after reading that fact. How is that possible? Well, what was your credit before this? That was like, who's the boss, right? Yes. What's your point? Wait till we get to our weekly quiz when I talk to you about who has been nominated in this category, and you're going to be wishing that Judith Light was, trust me. All right, Kristen, I pulled this one because it immediately made me think of you. Um, Leslie Jones, if she would win in this category, would be the first African-American to win this award since Jack Hay in 1987. For what show, Kristen Baldwin? 227, Henry. So one of my favorite things that Kristen Baldwin and I ever did at Entertainment Weekly, and really the credit all goes to Kristen Baldwin, is that we do a bunch of cast reunions every year, and we're super proud of the reunions that we do. And at one point, Kristen was in charge of these and had a master list of the ones we had done and what we'd gone out to. And Kristen comes to my office and she's like a huge smile on her face. She's like, I've struck gold. She's reuniting the cast of 227. And literally had to go to the ends of the earth to find each one of them. Jackie! I mean, how is this even possible? What is up, Emmys? You got to start, like, uh, getting a little color into your wins here. This is really kind of disgraceful. I believe you still have the guy who plays Lester's personal email address. You know, I, I, it was a mission, and I tracked him down, and they came together for us, and it was a truly proud moment. We were, and it's an Emmy-winning show thanks to Jack Hay. That's right. Jack Hay, do not deny the Jack Hay. So we now know that Jack Hay has not been snubbed in this category, but Lynette, take us through some of the women who have been. Well, you brought up one good one, and that, of course, was Judith Light, who's never won one. Uh, the only other one that I really wanted to talk about was the great Georgia Engel. She played Patricia Heaton's mom in Everybody Loves Raymond and the great Georgette Baxter on The Mary Tyler Moore Show, and she never won an Emmy. And that's just a damn shame. I agree completely. 
The woman who's had the most nomination in this category without ever winning is actually Julia Duffy with seven for Newhart. And you recently got together with the cast of Newhart, Lynette. Yeah, and her character was so easily overlooked and it was such a it was a tough character because she she played for money she was kind of a an airhead right and she lasted so long through that show too and of course and she looks exactly the same exactly the same all right Kristen that's a good segue because I want to talk to you about some people who have gotten trophies and I think it may blow your mind first of all what TV programs have the most win in this category being supporting actress in a comedy Designing Women? Roseanne? Good guess, but no. Mary Tyler Moore Show. Absolutely. Mary Tyler Moore Show is definitely one. Valerie Harper won three. Betty White won two. And Cloris Leachman won one. But to your point, Georgia Engel never won any. And then the other one is Cheers. Um, Rhea Perlman won four. And B.B. Newirth won two. Rhea actually won more than Shelley Long. Yes, she sure did. Yes, Shelley only won once for that show, but Rhea got four. Kristen, this one's for you. Was Lonnie Anderson ever nominated in this category? I want to say yes, and and I don't. I'm not mad at it. Lonnie Anderson was nominated twice in this category. As a matter of fact, Lynette was Inga Swenson on Benson ever nominated. I was not a Benson watcher. So she was nominated three times. I got to be honest. I put this in here because I'm new to LA. There's a bar I've been going to occasionally. And the woman behind the bar looks exactly like Inga Swenson and talks exactly like her. And she's gotten a little too personal in my life. And like, I can never go back to this bar again, which I'm enjoying because she, Inga Swenson knows too much about me. Wait, did you say you look like Inga Swenson? I don't think anyone ever wants to know they look like Inga Swenson. Would she know who Inga Swenson was if you brought it up? She certainly of age too. All right. Last question. Was Anne B. Davis ever nominated in this category? I think she was, yes. Here we go. She was nominated four times, and that's tied with our guest this week, Mayim Bialik, but she wasn't nominated for Brady Bunch. She was nominated for the Bob Cummings show, and the piece of trivia about that show, it was in the 50s. It was the first show ever to debut as a mid-season replacement, but Alice the Maid never got nominated. Go Anne B. Davis. I am happy to hear that for her. We are going to do a round robin of who we think will be nominated in this category. Uh, Lynette, you went first last time, so Kristen, you go first. I'm going to say that the first... Pick is going to be Megan Mullally, Will and Grace. Just like you said with Deborah Messing, she's, you know, she stepped back into the role of Karen Walker and she's incredibly funny. And as you pointed out, you know, she's been nominated seven times before and I don't see any reason why this will be any different. I'm going to go with this name only because of the news value that comes with it. And I'm going to say Jessica Walter from Arrested Development. I mean, obviously, I mean, she is the the definition of national treasure. But the whole scandal involving the the Q&A with the New York Times and the way that she spoke out about Jeffrey Tambor and the way that he treated her on the set, the whole thing was painful. And all the boys misbehaved around her and they all had to one by one apologize to her. And she was quite the lady, and I can't believe they treated her that way. And, oh, my God, I think she's just going to get a ton of nominations. I agree she's going to be nominated as well. This is a controversial question. Who do you think is more of a national treasure, Judith Light or Jessica Walter? I feel like I got to go with Judith Light. My first round draft pick is similar to Lynette's, and this is someone who has been swept up in a controversy not of her making, and that is Lori Metcalf. I truly believe that the Emmys are going to reward her for her great, great work on Roseanne, even though the show itself won't get nominated, and obviously Roseanne won't get nominated, deservedly so. But I feel like there is a groundswell of people who think that Lori Metcalf does not deserve to be punished just because she was working for somebody who said such horrible and hateful things. This is already going to be a way more interesting category than, than Outstanding Actress. 
It's going to be fun. Uh, my next pick is going to be Rita Moreno, uh, only because I think she's an Academy favorite, and it's great that she came back for um, uh, to help with the uh, the new launch of One Day at a Time on Netflix. Kristen, how about you? I guess I want to say Kate McKinnon. I can't off the top of my head think of, you know, standout moments, but I know that she's always good on the show. So, I mean, I think she's a favorite, and she's consistently good, and she does, you know, a good... Uh, Jeff Sessions, she does a very funny uh, Morning Joe co-host. So I think she'll she'll get she, even without Hillary being a character on every week. I think she'll uh, she'll still get a, a nomination. Excellent, Jeff Sessions. All right, my last pick in the category is Leslie Jones, also her SNL co-star. She steals the show every time she's on screen, be it in character, playing Oprah or what have you, or doing a monologue from the news desk with Colin Jost. She's just outstanding, super talented. Quite frankly, I'm surprised she's still on the show because I expected her to always already go off and do movies or have her own TV show or what have you, but I cherish every moment she's on SNL, and I think she's going to get a nomination for it. That's our six. That's our six. So that's Kate McKinnon, Laurie Metcalf, Jessica Walter, Rita Moreno, Megan Mullally, and Leslie Jones. You know, it's interesting. I feel like Sarah Gilbert might have had a shot uh, as well for a lot of the same reasons that you mentioned for Laurie Metcalf. On the other hand, she was an exec producer on the show, and I wonder if she's just going to be seen as too close to she who shall not be named to actually get a nomination. It'll be interesting to see uh, if this spinoff about her character does go forward, whether you know she'll be able to uh, get back into... Emmy's good graces. She's excellent as Darlene. She's always been really, really funny. It's just going to be interesting to see how people feel if that show goes forward in some form. All right. Can I start with two Let Me Plead fours? And both of them happen to be blonde, coincidentally. All right. The first is Jane Krakowski for Kimmy Schmidt. She's been nominated in this role before. I'm going back and rewatching 30 Rock, and I know this is a slight tangent, but she is such the underrated, underheralded star of that show. She was so good at just like sinking into these roles where she, are absurd and she makes fun of herself. Um, and she does something similar in a different role, obviously, on Kimmy Schmidt. And uh, she's my favorite character on that show. I would love to see her sneak in this category. As we talked about, it's super competitive, and I'm not sure she will, but like, she's a super talent. I'm hoping that she goes on to headline her own show next. She's just terrific. The second blonde I will say one quick word for is Lisey Gorenson on Roseanne. I think it's a really difficult character that she plays. And to be perfectly, perfectly honest, if I were plotting a spinoff of Roseanne, I would look at her character, which is so interesting and not like anyone you see on TV. She's a widow. She is covered in tattoos. She works as a waitress. She's sort of a self-described trashy drunk. She sinks in that character so well. She's another one that, like, in a different year, in a different era, could have gotten a nomination. I'm sad to see that she won't this year. I don't think she will. But I just wanted to put in a good word for her. Kristen, how about you? I am also going to plead for a blonde, uh, Betty Gilpin in Glow. She plays Debbie slash Liberty Bell, and she gives such a complex, funny, and very emotional performance. She plays an actress trying to get her career back, a mom dealing with a divorce, a woman dealing with her best friend's betrayal. And this season, she's a producer trying to keep her low-rent wrestling show on the air. It's a, you know, she really has grown into that character, and she's incredibly funny and moving in this role. Lynette, is it a blonde that you're choosing or somebody else? Uh, actually, she's more like a dirty blonde. Uh, it's Mayim. 
and not just because I'm interviewing her in a few minutes. Uh, there's a reason why she and Melissa Rausch became series regulars many years back. Their contributions to the show is as important, if not more important, than the original quintet. And she is the primary reason I tune in to watch the show. She plays a nerdy neurobiologist who has fallen head over heels for Jim Parsons' Sheldon Cooper, who is not so easy to love. That is the understatement of the century. Up next, Lynette is going to be talking to Maya Bialik about what it's like to love Sheldon Cooper on screen. So stay tuned for that. Welcome back to Chasing Emmy. Now we're going to uh, share an interview I did with Maya Bialik. Uh, first, I have to warn you folks, uh, she called us on the phone. She was on her way to the dentist. It's not the greatest connection, but you can still hear her greatness. Have a listen. So uh, how, how would you, just looking back on this season, I, I mean, just from my perspective, I would think it was, it had to be your most rewarding, but I don't know, maybe I'm just projecting. <laughs> how did you feel about it? Honestly, it's, it's kind of funny because once I do episodes, they kind of all just blur together. So when people say like, oh, how was your season? You know, I, I don't necessarily remember what made this season different. I do remember there was a wedding and that's a really big deal. Um, but honestly, you know, I, I love I love what I get to do every year. And some years are more um, memorable in my brain than others. But I don't know that my recollection is an accurate reflection of how good the year was. What have they done with Amy? I mean, it, have, over the years, is she... Is, do, you, do you feel like she's more fully formed? We've gotten to know her better and better. I mean, how would you t- uh, describe the trajectory of the character? You know, I think that the, the first handful of years, you know, uh, Melissa Rausch and I were made regulars in season four. Those first several years was really establishing kind of the friendship between these three females and also, you know, how I fit into Susan's life and how we all sort of started melding as a group. Um, but honestly, you know, many years, you could say that there were some great Amy moments, for example, um, but I wasn't necessarily carrying a plot or the, the plot wasn't really heavy on Amy and Sheldon's relationship. With a show like ours with so many people, you know, sometimes, as we say, you just kind of lay pipe. You know, you're the person laying pipe and the other people are doing other things. And then there are episodes where we, you know, where we have characters who have been carrying a plot them laying the pipe, as it were. We all kind of get to trade off when you have a cast this big. I know that the fans and reporters alike, and myself included, had been asking for years, is this wedding going to happen? Did it feel like it was a long time coming? Well, I mean, literally and figuratively, it was a long time coming. And to be quite honest, I don't know that that Jim and I, you know, would have planned it this way if we were the writers. Um, I was frankly pretty surprised when we had coitus. And uh, was very surprised, you know, when we had the season finale year before last where he proposes. I honestly didn't even know if she was going to say yes. That's really, really in the hands of, of Steve Malaro, who is our showrunner, and now Steve Holland, who's our showrunner, and all of our amazing writers who put these words into our mouths. Why were you surprised they had sex? Did you feel like that was out of character or probably too soon? You know, it's like everything's out of character until you do it, and then it becomes your character. That's true in real life as well. Honestly, I really, I I enjoyed being sort of the longest-running romantic and intimate non-sexual relationship on television. And I thought that our characters, you know, accomplished and achieved all of the things important to them in their relationship. I think the way that our writers chose to do it was exceptionally sensitive and, and interesting and important. But I definitely could have seen that not happening and having them wait until they got married or who knows. So I have to tell you that I, I'm a fan of your, your vlog, your website, and it added 
a, a great additional layer to watching the show because in addition to watching and enjoying Amy going through this process of the engagement and finding her wedding dress and getting married, we got to hear from you what it was like for Mayim to go through this. And you were very candid on your website about that. Yeah, I have, uh, I've written a lot about uh, kind of behind-the-scenes stuff for my website, Grok Nation, and I also have a YouTube channel. And with this wedding episode in particular, it was really nice to be able to share, you know, aspects of my experience as a divorced woman and as someone who's not happy with her body and kind of having to put it on display. There's a lot of attention associated with the wedding, and I was really grateful that people wanted to hear about it, both on Grok Nation and also on my YouTube channel. You really showed some vulnerability there. You opened up about how uncomfortable you felt with folks telling you you looked gorgeous in all those dresses. Why'd you go that length? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, what I've chosen to do, you know, on Grok Nation and, and, and with these videos that I make is to try and really show more of myself, which is something that public people have kind of a love-hate relationship with a lot of times, and I'm no exception. But yeah, I, I like to try and point out um, that there are aspects, especially as a woman, of parts of ourselves that... Um, that don't have to be perfect, you know, and that we're constantly learning to perfect. And being a public person and, and being in an industry where I have to kind of put myself on display is an extra challenge for that. I think fans really enjoyed hearing that. Like I said, it, it made watching the episode so much better. And I, I got to tell you, it was such a delightful surprise with the dress that she ultimately chose to wear. Because, I mean, you're right, it, it was kind of crazy. Yeah, there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. But I do think it was very true to Amy's personality and to the kind of fantasy that she had given up on, you know, because she thought she'd never find someone to understand her and want to be with her. So it's really sweet. This is her princess wedding. So did they let you know pretty early on that you, you'll get to wear the tiara? Yes. In the first wardrobe fitting, Mary Quigley, who's our uh, head of costume and she's also one of our producers, she said, we're going for the real tiara. And that was the actual tiara that I wore in the episode where Amy gets the tiara from Sheldon. So it was the same exact one. Oh, and one of the best YouTube clips ever when you received that. By the, by the way, did you have to rehearse that over and over again? Or did you get it on the first take when you first got that tiara? So we did several takes just because we have to for camera angles and things like that. But um, I actually wrote a piece, a behind-the-scenes piece, about that episode as well where I talked about how the way that I rehearsed it, the way that I first did it, was the way that we ended up filming it, meaning Mark Sandrowski, our director, never corrected it. He never changed it. That was exactly the way I thought to do it, and that's the way we did it. It was super sing-songy, and it just showed this new level of enthusiasm. <laughs> it was just awesome. <laughs> yep, that we had never seen before. <laughs> yes. Did the wedding go off the way you wanted did you wish you had a little more time in the actual ceremony? No, I mean, it definitely, with, with you know, 25 cast members that we were juggling, it definitely felt like enough time in that set. No one was watching for more. So have they given you any idea what to expect for next season? Not a clue. I don't ask, and no one tells me, and no one asks my opinion. So I'm very, very curious. For all I know, season 12 may open at the reception. I have no idea. Just what has the sitcom meant to your career? How has it changed your life, if it has? Oh, my gosh. I mean, to have the opportunity to work on a sitcom like I did on Blossom is, is a once-in-a-lifetime experience. To get this opportunity, I mean, it's, it's, beyond my, it's beyond any understanding. I am incredibly grateful. You know, I started on Big Bang Theory when I had a toddler and, a, and, an, and an almost toddler. So this has been a huge portion of my life. And while I was 
degree in neuroscience before I got called in for this audition, it has completely changed my life. It's changed the course of my life. Um, and it's an unbelievable opportunity. I'm very grateful every day. If you get a chance to interact with fans, what kind of feedback do you usually get? Do you get a lot of, do you get women who say, I mean, Amy is me? What kind of, what kind of words do you hear? You know, it depends where I go, you know, um, meaning, you know, if I'm in a place where there's young people or, you know, people in their teens and 20s, they just love the show. It's their favorite show, they say. Um, but then we get some really amazing feedback from women who are scientists or girls who want to be scientists and see the Bernadette character and the Amy character as, as strong women in science. But we also get to, to touch the lives of special needs fans, and we, we often will get feedback that someone in, in someone's family was, was in the hospital or dying, and the only thing they could do as a family was watch the one family show that they all love, which was The Big Bang Theory. So to think of our show as part of people's lives like that, that's really meaningful. It's really beautiful. Last question. I, I heard you're, you're headed off to Israel. Is this an annual trip for you and the family? Is it a vacation? I know you're, you're politically active as well. I have a lot of family there. They immigrated after the Yom Kippur War, so right about the time I was born, uh, a lot of my family moved to Israel, and I have cousins who already have grandchildren. So I go about every other year since I'm 16, and this trip is in honor of my older son's upcoming bar mitzvah, which we're doing um, here in Los Angeles, but we are doing kind of a, a divorced family trip to Israel to celebrate his accomplishment of becoming a bar mitzvah. So we're very excited. All right. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. That's all I wanted to ask. I sure appreciate it. Thank you. And have a good one. And thanks so much. Bye-bye now. Lynette, that was a great interview. Thank you so much for doing it. And thanks so much to Mayim Bialik for joining us. And that is a wrap. Thank you so much for listening. And if you haven't heard all of our episodes, they're available at your local neighborhood podcast store. Please download them. Please rate us. Tell your friends. Take care. Today's podcast was brought to you by the Prime original series, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, from executive producers Amy Sherman Palladino and Daniel Palladino, starring Rachel Brosnahan, Alex Borstein, and Tony Shalhoub. Winner of two Golden Globes, including Best TV Series, Musical, or Comedy, consider it marvelous in all categories. 